You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 64 of the Aging Starts Now podcast. I'm Chris Johnson, an attorney and partner here at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. With me today is fellow partner and certified elder law attorney, Barbara McGinnis. Today, we are going to talk about trust funding. Good morning, Barbara. How are you doing? Morning, Chris. I'm well, thanks. So, Trust funding. This, as you know, uh, is the proverbial burr in my saddle. Uh, We have a trust document. We have a client. We get all of the documents signed, executed. We're ready to go. Client has their binder, and we feel very good about it. And then what happens is the trust funding portion. I talk to the clients about we basically march them down the field and get them to the five-yard line. We just had the NFL draft, so we'll use our football references. And now they need to take it down those last five yards. And what that means is making sure that the trust has assets in it. And what people tend to forget is that a trust is effectively a vessel and it is an empty vessel until you put stuff in it. And it is, uh, it really is, it can be problematic depending on the trust because if the individual thinks, hey, I've set up the trust, I'm good to go, and they never put anything in it, then it is the trust is not going to do what they had hoped it would do. And I, I talk to the clients, we make a very big push every time we do a signing of documents about the importance of funding. And so, Barbara, why don't you talk about what happens when you don't do the funding? What are the ramifications of we set all of this up and then we don't put anything in our trust? Right. So it depends on what your goal was and what kind of trust you have as to what kind of ramifications you have. If you if you're dealing with a revocable trust, you were planning on your goal was to avoid probate, to make it easier for your heirs to inherit, and you did not fund the trust. Well, so you have at least wasted money on purchasing and paying for the, that trust document, but you haven't met your goals and your family is still going to be probating your estate at the, at the end of your life. Um Another thing that we see people do is have this revocable trust to set up those contingencies that we talk about, and they don't really want to go through the burden themselves of trust funding. They make assets payable on death to the trust. So then you have both worlds. You have a trust, and you're still probating to get the assets in the trust. So it's every every lawyer's uh, billable hour dream that, that you've have this situation, but for some people, it it might really work. If what you're not trying to avoid probate, but you're trying to uh, actualize the contingencies in the trust, and you just say, "Hey, I as grantor do not want to fool with trust funding because it's a it's a task. 
I'm going to pay the executor of my state to fund it. All right, so that's kind of a cheat area there. Worst situation, I think, are the people that come to us for asset protection. They want an irrevocable trust. They're wanting to protect assets for future long-term care care cost. Um, they're wanting to escape the, the whole notion of 10-care estate recovery if they ever use the 10-care benefit, but they don't go through the trouble of funding the trust. And in another podcast, you, you referred to that irrevocable trust as the five-year clock trust. Well, that five-year clock, the time frame in between funding and potential financial eligibility for 10-care really only starts after all the assets are there. So if you don't do a good job of funding, you've got, you you still don't have asset protection or you don't have as complete of asset protection as what you'd hope for. So short answer, you're not going to meet your estate planning goals if you don't take this, um, this step of trust funding. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, Barbara, it is, we do document reviews, as you know, uh, pretty routinely, and I don't think I ever feel more deflated uh, in a document review when someone brings me uh, an estate plan that's been put together and they have all their documents organized in a binder. Uh, we review the documents from you know whichever attorney is drafted uh, from this outside firm, and I'm looking at the documents and I'm saying this is a good plan. They they spent their money wisely, and they did a good job here. And here they have this very good estate plan, and uh, there's an irrevocable trust in there, and that means they're looking towards the future and they're relying on that five year look back clock, and then tucked in. The inside folder, that little pouch on the inside of the binder, is an unexecuted deed or an unrecorded deed. And I have to be the one to break the news to them that the purpose for what they did and what they paid for to set all this up, they have frustrated it by not getting that deed done, getting that deed recorded. And so I've had it where three or four years have gone through. They should be a year away from being through that look back clock and being free and clear. And I have to tell them, you guys haven't even started it. And it is a deflating moment for them and they are frustrated. And it's a deflating moment for me because you don't like to be the bearer of bad news, but you have a duty to each and every person who comes through the door to make sure that they understand, hey, these are the ramifications of what has happened. And a lot of firms, a lot of places will simply provide a memorandum or some type of letter of instruction and say, here, good luck. And as one of the great things I love about the manner in which we do things here, we walk through it with them line by line. We follow up with our clients. Have you done this? Have you done that? I actually, I now have like a speech, a little almost a rah-rah speech about, okay, we just signed the documents. We're going to get this done this week. Uh, If it's a morning appointment, I say, we're going to head straight. You guys are going to head straight over to the bank right now. And for deeds, we record the deeds. And I think a lot of people are very relieved to hear that that's just taken care of and done. And it is, 
It's just hard to fathom that people would spend the money that they spend and not get it across the finish line. And I think some of it's just due to a lack of understanding and not really understanding the gravity of how important that final task is and the ramifications of not doing it. Well, exactly. You know, sometimes when you're doing that uh, document review and, and you're looking at a trust, whether it's a revocable trust or irrevocable trust, and you say, so what assets does your trust hold? What's in it? And and they give you that deer in the headlights look, <laughs> what, what do you mean what's in it? Um, and so a trust can be funded, of course, with real estate. Um, it's very useful for when you hold real estate in more than one state, say you have a vacation home, a cabin at the lake in Kentucky, or a beach home in Florida, or even inherited property in another state. Very useful for that. Only thing worse than probating in a state is probating in a state in more than one state. <laughs> so um, a, a trust can hold real estate. It can hold uh, by title bank accounts, liquid assets, checking accounts, money markets, uh, CDs, investment portfolios. It confounds people. They cannot put their qualified money into the name of the trustee and hold that in the trust. So qualified money being IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, those are individual accounts that stay with the individual. It's a taxable event if they try to transfer that to a trust. Um, so that would be a, a, you know, a bad outcome if somebody actually went and did that. But Chris, if you don't fund your trust and pass away with basically a dry trust, is that just like dying with a will? No, it's not, it's not quite like that. It is still better than not having the trust at all, so long as you have executed in conjunction the pour-over will. And the pour-over will, I like to use the baseball analogy. Imagine the catcher is your trust, and the pitcher is the grantor. And so the, the pitcher has gotten this trust. We need the catcher down there, and each baseball is an asset. And so he throws a baseball to the catcher. The catcher gets it. That asset is now in the trust. And so everything the pitcher throws down, it gets there. Well, every once in a while, something gets past the catcher. And it either, you know, hey, he misses it, it's overthrown. And so now we have this baseball, this asset that isn't in the trust. Well, it gets caught, you're on a baseball diamond, you have that backstop. And your backstop is the pour over will. And what's going to happen is that asset will have to go through the probate process, and that's okay. And what that probate process is going to do is it's going to catch that asset and it's going to do exactly what it sounds like. It's going to pour the asset over back into the trust. So if you have a dry trust in your example, Barbara, and you haven't put anything in there, you're going to go to probate. You're going to go through the probate process, which, you know, will be cumbersome and probably a little bit of an inconvenience, uh, and certainly it'll be costly, but those assets will still make it to the trust if everything has been done correct, and then the trust will still manage things, and you will still get the advantages of the trust. The difference is your path to get there is just kind of a bigger pain, and it's unnecessary, and I think people uh, neglect to think about that. It is 
is not a crisis if you haven't funded for a revocable trust. Now, an irrevocable trust, if a few years have gone by, that can be a big mistake. But if you leave a dry trust as a revocable estate uh, planning probate avoidance tool, odds are you're probably going to be okay and things will end up, albeit in a little more circuitous route, you'll end up where you want it. But if you have an irrevocable trust that you were hoping to get some asset protection established and you leave that trust dry, um, no, you will be very upset with the result of that and you will be very frustrated when your planning doesn't turn out in the manner that you had hoped or thought that it would. And it's it's not just uh, funding the trust, it's funding the right trust. I, I think the biggest horror story I've ever had shared was when the family farm, they went to their attorney and said, hey, we want to protect the family farm. And they placed the family farm in a revocable trust. And then after the parents had passed away and they had been on tin care, they, there was a tin care debt due and the estate recovery mechanism was triggered and the family was very upset to find out that the trust wasn't doing what they thought that it did. And so when you are funding these trusts, you want to make sure you are funding the right trust with the right asset um, because that was um, that was a nightmare for that family. They had, they had planned for one thing and they had gotten a, a very different result. Um, and it was coming, there were, it, it could actually go on with that one. There was a, a com, if, it, if it wasn't so serious, you'd call it a comedy of errors. The, it is this detail work at the end that really makes the plan fly. And when people, when you take the time to sit down and explain that and the gravity of it, I think it really tells people, yes, let's get this done. Wow, Chris, that is definitely um, a scary story and, and about the importance of funding, not just funding your trust, but funding your tr correct trust. Anything else we want to talk about today? I think that covers it. Remember that it is when you put together these plans, I think the last piece, and because I, I, I harp on this and I can't help myself in, in this podcast right now, when you put together this planning, make sure you take the time to sit with your counsel and say, what else? What else is that? That last question you should always be asking, what else needs to be done? How do I make sure this is getting across the finish line? I have put together this plan. You have put together this plan for me. What else do I need to do to make sure I am maximizing the value of everything we do have done and make sure this hard work is paying off in the end? And when you do that and when you take a vested interest in it, in the long run, when all this is said and done, you're going to be very satisfied with the result. And I think for the those uh, thinking to do this planning, uh, knowing that going in, I think will help them be much more successful. So do you have anything else to add? Not today. That's a lot of information. That, that is a lot of information. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for your time. That's going to be it for today's episode. Thank you for being with us today. Takis McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of the Aging Starts Now podcast. 
Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Takus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there, free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging starts now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 